0: Chapter four of The Captain of the Nine by William Heiliger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four Inside Baseball Mellon played that afternoon like a boy in a dream. Unreal balls came to him, and he made unreal catches and unreal throws. Yet he was conscious of a change in the cage. He could feel it. The second string fellows obeyed the captain's orders with eagerness, and even the varsity responded with additional promptness. The coach, in school athletics, is master even of the captain. Never in the history of St. Mary's had a captain dared to make such a wholesale dismissal without first consulting the coach, but these were extraordinary times. Bartley, partly guessing the reason why, had known that Jenkins was leaving him to fight his own way out, and he fought, without first inquiring what Jenkins thought of his plans. To Mellon, in the moments when his head cleared, that afternoon's work smacked of disaster. Here was an untried captain riding roughshod, If he was strong enough to behead the second-string fellows, might he not be powerful enough to discipline one melon-star infielder? It occurred to him, too, after a while, that perhaps Jenkins, when the practice was over, would quietly read the riot act to the captain and order him to rescind his order of expulsion. During the work that same thought came more than once to Bartley. When the fellows scampered at last for the locker room he walked over to the coach. Jenkins could plainly see the question in his eyes. "'Trying afternoon, Bartley, eh?' The boy nodded and still asked the question with his eyes. Suddenly Jenkins put out his hand and gave the arm of his star pitcher a gentle, reassuring squeeze. Not a word was spoken, but the fear went out of the captain's eyes. I'm going to make a winning nine out of this, Jenkins. I know you will, said the coach, even though he didn't know any such thing. Mellon, watching from afar, saw it all and understood. Napoleon Bartley, he growled. Well, I guess it's up to me to start a Waterloo. I'll be Wellington Mellon. The second baseman gave not a thought to the fellows who had been dismissed from the nine for foolishly following his lead. They, however, had not forgotten him. When he came out to the street, he found them grouped about the door. What are you going to do for us? they asked. About what? demanded Mellon. About our suspension. Why should I do anything for you? Why? echoed a voice. Didn't you get us into this? I did not replied the second baseman, in a shocked tone. What did I have to do with it? Angry, outraged, they crowded around the boy who had been their idol and besieged him with questions. Didn't you tell us that he was a joke? Didn't you say he didn't have nerve enough to make faces at himself? What did you have to do with it? What do you think we are, lunatics? Their voices had almost become shouts. Mellon shook his fists fearfully. Keep still, not so loud. Do you want to be heard all over the village? Afraid Jenkins or Bartley will hear us, demanded a voice shrewdly. "'He isn't afraid of Bartley!' jeered another voice. "'Not a bit of it!' Inside the building, the second baseman could hear the fellows hurrying to the door. It would never do to be found mixed up in this kind of row. Using his elbows and his shoulders, he fought free of the crowd and started for the campus at a rapid pace. Over his shoulder, he saw the door open. Kennedy, Curtis, and a half-dozen more candidates bustled out. He lengthened his stride, turned a corner, and then ran. "'Running away!' he grunted. "'I'll make you pay for this, Bartley!' back outside the gym the six dismissed candidates assured kennedy and curtis that there was no need for calling the police and then drew off to discuss their sorry plight they saw only one ray of hope an appeal to the coach when jenkins came from the gym they surrounded him but he brushed them aside for my part he said st mary's can well do without the fellows that try to make trouble i won't help you if bartley wants to take you back that's his lookout personally i don't fancy your type the coach walked away The six stared at each other in silence. "'Hear what he called us?' asked one voice at last. Five heads nodded. "'He's right, too,' five more nods. "'I guess we'll have to go in and beg.' This time the nods came slowly. In a snaky, shuffling, awkward line they went back to the locker room. Only Bartley and Redway were in the place. "'What is it?' asked Bartley. "'You'll have to hurry. I want to get back.' The six stared questioningly at Redway. "'Go on,' ordered Bartley, Redway's assistant captain. They told their story stammeringly, but to the point. They were sorry. Would the captain take them back?' "'To make more trouble?' Bartley asked. "'We've had our lesson,' said one of the pleaders. "'And you're sorry because you've been dismissed?' "'No, it isn't that. We were told you were a joke.' "'By whom?' demanded Redway. The six stared at the floor. One by one they shuffled uneasily, but they did not answer. Redway opened his mouth to speak again, saw the motion of Bartley's hand, and remained silent. "'Think you fellows will give me any more trouble if I take you back?' "'No, sir.' That sir was a whole story in itself. It was the first time Bartley had been sird since he entered St. Mary's, and it would probably be the last. A smile struggled at the corners of his mouth. "'All right. I'll take your word for it. Report to-morrow.' They hastened away as though afraid the captain might change his mind. A minute later their excited voices drifted in from the street. Redway banged shut his locker door and snapped the key in the lock. "'Why didn't you make them tell?' he demanded. "'They wouldn't have told,' answered Bartley. You or I wouldn't have thought much of them if they had." "'I guess you're right,' admitted the catcher reluctantly. "'Besides,' the captain added quietly, "'I think I know who started this.'" And Redway found himself nodding as though he knew, too. Next day, Mellon came late to the cage. Most of the candidates were already out. Halfway to the locker room, he stopped and stared. The six candidates who had been dismissed the day before were working in the outfield. Slowly, Mellon moved toward them. He noticed Kennedy, Bartley's roommate, gazing after him. The six candidates, though, were unaware of the infielder's nearness until his voice carried across to their ears. "'Crawl, eh?' They turned and frowned. "'A little,' said one of the group easily crawled he taunted like little puppies someone pushed him aside and he almost lost his balance he whirled around and found kennedy at his elbow beg pardon said the big pitcher but it isn't my fault you know you're in the way out here you're an infielder were you shoving me demanded mellon angrily the idea seemed to shock kennedy if one could judge by his face shove you why should i do that his eyes met mellon's halted and then rested there and suddenly the second baseman turned and went toward the locker room I'd play the infield when I came out, Kennedy called after him. I would if I were you. Captain Bartley, helping to coach candidates how big a lead it was safe to take off first, saw Jenkins's eyes fastened on the outfield. The captain looked that way, too. He saw Kennedy sauntering in and noticed the outfield candidates gesticulating excitedly. What was it, Ned? he asked. An argument on how to play the outfield, answered the big pitcher. Didn't I see Mellon out there? Oh, he butted in and told them they were all wrong. Bartley went back to the coaching. Jenkins's eyelids drooped an instant and then popped open. He nodded to Kennedy and when he moved away later the pitcher followed. What did Mellon say? the coach asked. He was taunting them with being crawlers. The coach's face showed that he had suspected as much. It's just as well you didn't tell Bartley. I guess so. He's worrying about the nine. Last year he didn't worry. He wasn't captain. The boy's tone carried a warning. The coach stepped closer. "'What do you mean, Kennedy?' "'Don't be surprised if his arm—' "'I've been afraid of that,' said the coach as they went back to the diamond. That afternoon Jenkins and Bartley went after their charges with vigor and vim. The coach took the Outer Gardeners and Bartley handled the infielders. The basemen worked out in sets, and at last the varsity was called out and took possession of the diamond. In the outfield Jenkins was barking savagely. Mellon scarcely heard the coach's voice, but when Bartley spoke the captain's words drummed loudly, disagreeably, in his ears. "'He certainly does like to hear himself talk,' grumbled Mellon. "'Bartley, in the coaching box alongside third base, was urging on the infielders. "'That's the stuff, fellows! Lots of pepper, lots of pepper. Third, Redway, third. Good throw, old man. "'Come, Curtis, you're fighting the ball. There, that's better. "'Careful, Kaufman, don't look around for the bag. "'Your feet should reach it almost by instinct.' "'Mellon snickered. "Ha! Huh, to hear him talk, you'd think he knew something about the game.' "'Slowly, the play quickened and became faster and faster.' The second baseman's thoughts began to travel. Then he heard his name. "'Wake up, Mellon! He looked back across one shoulder. "'What's the matter?' "'You can do better than that. Get in and hustle. You're slowing up the play!' The next ball bounded off to Mellon's right. He raced over, scooped it up, and while on the run, tossed it to Kaufman. The first baseman threw home, grinned, and nodded toward Bartley. "'No loafing while he's around. He doesn't miss much!' Mellon walked back to his station. "'What does he know about baseball?' he growled. He had asked himself that question so often that now it stuck in his mind. It was there during the rest of the practice, there while he splashed under the showers. Finally, as he was on his way to the street, the great idea came. "'I have it!' he cried aloud. "'Let's see it!' begged Curtis, who was walking behind him. "'Oh, you're too bright!' blazed the second baseman and passed out. But the idea was there, great, glowing, an answer to all his troubles. What was simpler?' Bartley knew nothing about baseball as a fine art, whereas he knew the inside game. When the real work started outside, when the varsity and the scrub began the practice games, then he could show his superiority. At first he thought of asking to be allowed to play with the scrub for a while, so that he could work his tricks against the varsity and its captain. Then he remembered that there would be days when Bartley would pitch for the scrub. "'Wait!' he exulted slangly. "'When he's pitching against the varsity, I'll pull all the inside stuff I know. Why, when I get through showing up our captain, he'll want to quit and crawl into a hole. I'll lead the nine yet. As a foundation for what he would do later, to make sure that it would be observed when it happened, he began to talk inside baseball morning, noon, and night. He diagrammed plays to the varsity fellows. He spoke authoritatively to the second-string fellows of how this play and that play should be made. After a while, if there was a candidate who hadn't received a first-class impression that the star infielder must have invented inside baseball, that candidate must have been deaf. The days were becoming warmer. Now it was chilly only during the early morning, the late afternoon, and at night. From the gym windows the candidates could see the groundkeeper rolling out the infield and getting it ready for play. One afternoon they saw him pouring a thick stream of whitewash along the foul lines. They besieged the coach. "'Tomorrow?' they demanded. "'Tomorrow,' Jenkins laughed, we start the outdoor practice. Are you glad?' They shrieked their joy and pounded their fists on each other's backs. The wild free field, the smell of early grass, the ripple of soft breezes over flushed faces, the damp give of springy turf, they fell to cheering again at the prospect. Mellon, dressing after the practice, laughed aloud in his delight. He felt that his time was coming. Next day the boys ran riot on St. Mary's Field. Fly balls soared joyously against a background of clear sky. The infielders played snappy ball on sharp bounding hits. Off to one side the coach called each candidate in turn and gave lengthy practice in sliding to bases. Hitting the dirt, the fellows called it. Mellon was given but little of this, as he was the best base runner of the nine. Bartley came over when the second baseman's name was called, and after he had gone into the bag the captain smiled. Haven't forgotten how, have you, Mellon? I never forget baseball, answered the infielder. I wish all the fellows were that way, sighed Bartley. Come on, Curtis, try it again. I was watching you. Get some smoothness into that slide. Mellon walked away dissatisfied. It seemed strange to him that Bartley could draw all the sting from all his attempts at sarcasm. "'He's fair,' whispered Kaufman. "'Who?' Mellon asked. "'Bartley. He's over there jumping all over Curtis. "'Curtis, Kennedy, and Randolph Taylor are his best friends.' "'The second baseman didn't reply to this. "'After a while,' he asked. "'Taylor isn't out with the squad this year?' "'No,' said Kaufman. "'Guess he figures he hasn't a chance with Bartley and Kennedy in form.' "'A week later, when the candidates had become accustomed to playing on the dirt field, "'the varsity and the second nine were announced.' All the varsity fellows for the present held their places. All hands out early tomorrow, Jenkins ordered. We line up for the first game. How long? asked Redway. Five innings. Who pitches for the scrub? asked Mellon. Bartley, said the coach. The second nine cheered. Mellon walked away smiling. I'll show them how little he knows, he grinned. Two hundred students came down to watch the first practice game. Bartley and Kennedy warmed up in front of the stands, Redway taking Kennedy's delivery and Murray handling the captain. When the pitchers came back to the bench together, Jenkins, sitting there, could see that Bartley was frowning. "'What's wrong?' he asked. "'My arm doesn't seem right,' the captain answered. "'I told him not to work today,' Kennedy interposed. "'It isn't sore,' Bartley explained. "'But somehow I can't seem to put any life into the ball. I suppose I'll warm up to it after I get started.' The coach sighed thoughtfully. If it starts to feel, I'll stop at once, the captain promised. Varsity went first to bat. Jenkins umpired the game from behind the plate. Standing in the rear of Murray, he could see every bend and break of Bartley's delivery. The first Varsity batter punished the ball for a two-base smash. The second boy, sent up with instructions to sacrifice, almost beat the throw to first. He has nothing, Jenkins sighed again. Nothing but his glove and a prayer. But Bartley still had that asset that had stood him in good stead before his head. Finding the ball would not break right, he resorted to a baffling change of pace. His fastball had plenty of smoke, and his slow ball teased and dropped. The runner who had gone to third on the sacrifice hit was thrown out at the plate, and the next batter drifted a fly that was caught by an outfielder. No runs had been scored, but the captain came back to the bench, shaking his head. In the second nine's half, Dixon, first up, beat out a splash in front of the plate. Then he woke up the stands by stealing second on redway. The next two boys struck out, and Dixon stayed at the middle sack. As the next batter crouched at the plate, he took a long lead off second. Bartley was coaching at third base. That's it, Dixon, he called. Take a good lead. He's going to hit it a mile. Suddenly, Dixon saw Redway throw. He started back for second and saw that nobody was covering that bag. He whirled toward third and found that unguarded too. Look out, cried Bartley. Go back! Even as he swung around again, he heard the slap of a ball striking a glove. Then a round, hard object was jammed between his shoulder blades. Out, bawled Jenkins. Dixon turned. The varsity shortstop had the ball. Some melon's Mellon's inside baseball, he grinned. Redway, taking off his protector and mask, was chuckling. Mellon's plan, he acknowledged. He thought it a good idea to throw to the shortstop when a runner had a long lead off second. It tangles up the runner, and before he can get straightened out, Short has tagged him. It also tangles up others, laughed Mellon as he trotted in. Bartley was coaching at third. Redway's face lost its smile, and he turned toward the bench. "'Batter up!' snapped Jenkins. In each of the next three innings, by steady hitting, the varsity got men on the bases but did not score. Meanwhile Kennedy, pitching superbly, held the scrub in the hollow of his hand. The fifth inning opened. Varsity coachers shrieked from the coaching boxes. "'Get him this time! It's our last chance! Come on there, Mellon!' The second baseman was at the plate. Bartley pitched, and the infielder drove the ball to left field for two bases. Curtis came next, and Curtis was given his base on balls. Murray, holding the sphere, came toward the box. "'Take your time,' he pleaded. "'Those last four were awful!' Bartley nodded and walked toward third base. The guardian of that corner came out to meet him, and the shortstop moved over to cover the bag, remembering that there was a runner on second. "'As soon as I pitch,' said Bartley, "'run to the bag and stay there.' The infielder stared in surprise. The stands began to chaff the pair. Tell him all about it, Bartley. Come on, you're delaying the game. Write him a letter, old man. Why, stammered the third baseman, if he bunts. I know, I'll take the bunt. You hustle to the bag, I'll throw to you. We'll force that man on second. The third baseman went back to his station and the shortstop to his. The baseman was shaking his head. Nerve, he mumbled, pure nerve. That's going some. Taking a chance of having three on bases and none out. He did not know what was passing in Bartley's mind. Redway, waiting at the plate, batted from the right side. With a runner on first and a runner on second, it was certain that he would attempt to sacrifice. And if the ball was pitched on the inside corner of the plate and low, the chances were all in favor of it going toward the third base line. Then, too, the runner on second, not expecting a throw to third, would not run with all his speed when the ball was hit. The students were cheering for a score. The coaches were barking threats and warnings. Bartley glanced toward third, nodded, and then pitched. Even as the ball left his hand, he was running toward the white line to his right. Redway bunted, and when the ball struck the grass, Bartley was waiting for it. Turning quickly, he shot it with all his strength to the third baseman. Mellon, six feet from his goal, heard the plunk of a ball, and then Jenkins' voice. You're out! He slid into the bag, stood up, and shook the dust from his uniform. Suddenly his mouth hung open. He had plainly heard the coach call out, yet Redway was on first and Curtis was on second. Who's out? he questioned. He saw Jenkins wave a hand at him and in bewilderment he stepped from the bag Dixon playing second base on the scrub was capering madly inside baseball he kept calling inside baseball the stands were taxing their young throats Mellon had seen Bartley draw the third baseman aside now he learned that the students had seen it too for from the stands came a stamping chorus Bartley 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 the varsity so confident a moment before wilted after that play and the next two boys were easy outs. In its last half the Scrub did not score, and with a tied game as the result of the afternoon's work, Varsity and Scrub raced for the locker room. "'Did you see that play?' cried the Scrub third baseman. "'When he told me to play the bag and not bother with the ball, I thought he was crazy. Some captain, eh?' "'It was the real sixteen-carat inside baseball,' exulted Dixon." Such open praise tormented Mellon's ears. He had expected to confuse the captain, and instead Bartley had routed him. It wasn't such a wonderful play, he growled. How's that? demanded several indignant voices. It has been worked before. Where? At Chicago, snapped Mallon. During the World Series of nineteen oh nine, three fingered Brown was pitching for the Chicago Nationals. He worked that same play on the Detroit Americans. In that case, grinned Kaufman, there wasn't much excuse in letting Bartley work it on you, was there? The second baseman strode back to his locker. He had been out-generaled, and the fellows were not missing a chance to tell him about it. Bartley read about that play, he gulped. He just read about it. What he doesn't know about baseball would fill a book. He did not bother to comb his hair. As he left the room, he recalled that not a word had been said about the play that had trapped Dixon. Just as he reached the door leading to the street, a sadly cracked voice raised itself in song. We are the inside baseball kids. Tra-la-la, tra-la-la. Mellon, swallowing hard, passed out and forgot to close the door after him. End of chapter 4